thanks to the coronavirus for some great systemic change, we're starting to see businesses that are purely focused on profit really struggling through this period. That is not the business model of the future. Hi Heidi, how are you? Just about getting through um, continual Zooms. <laughs> oh yeah, how's Zoom fatigue treating you? How have you dealt with it in lockdown? I read some somewhere the smart thing to do is make your half an hour meetings 25 minutes and your hour ones 50 minutes so you get a five minute break or a 10 minute break in between so you can actually do a few emails or something otherwise I, I'm literally just from 9 30 till quarter past two back to back with with zoom calls we connected over my LinkedIn post was it, a couple of weeks ago and I was discussing the the difference between and the imbalance of, of purpose and impact and the fact that purpose, because it's become so popular and popularized specifically amongst consumers, that a lot of businesses decide to attach themselves to a purpose as a marketing decision instead of having an actual impact and reason for existing, which trickles down and influences yeah. every single facet of the business. We had a quite a, a nice little exchange on LinkedIn and then on messages and we realized there's so much overlap and, and, and we believe the same things i was like i'm sure toby's like just repeating back to me everything that i say <laughs> it's like yeah it's it's like imagine them like similar thinking really in terms of you know your your thought process and mine is like even how you describe the purposing and how it, it's not really linked to impact i was like yeah that that could have been like I could have written that. I feel lucky and privileged to be able to have conversations with people like you. You've got such a vast amount of experience that led you to this point. What I'm really interested in doing in this conversation, if that's okay with you, is really understanding um, the journey that got you to this point, everything you've learned, the, the outlooks, the opinions you have as a result, what's shaped the worldview to get you um, to this point. For the past 20 years, correct me if I'm wrong, two decades, you've helped over 2,100 social enterprises and what's interesting about that is that ranges from startups uh, kind of upstarts right through to corporations and what you've been doing for all of these businesses whatever the size is you've been helping them more accurately measure the tangible impact that they're having on the world and society and people on the planet and i want to dive into that and i want to dive into what you're doing now and specifically how you feel around the mbe title but instead of of diving straight into that i really I'm interested to understand how you started and what got you to this point. So what point in your life, Heidi, did you realize that making an impact was important to you and was an integral part of your values? So I, I think if we go back around um, 20 years ago, at that point, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a career. And I decided because I was good at maths that I should train to be a chartered accountant, which now I know that you don't need to be good at maths to be an accountant. Um, so that was that was a completely illogical choice if I if I reflect back on it. But um, my my first job, so to speak, was at PricewaterhouseCoopers in the corporation tax department, and effectively working with multinationals, saving them millions of pounds of, of tax by doing some some great tax planning um all legit and legal but it, it sort of struck a nerve in that it's actually well they could really actually afford to pay their tax it's the the small ones that 
that can't afford to pay their tax that we should really be helping to do this kind of stuff if we were going to do it um so at that point it's that's when you know my values started to kick in around actually this this doesn't really light me up in the way that I thought it would you know I thought it was going to be exciting it, you know international travel this stuff um, which still lights me up in you know in terms of traveling internationally but um, and in parallel to that I was helping to set up a, a charity a local charity for young people and so I was I was learning what was involved in the charity how you set one up how you go about bid writing and different things and a few few years later I, I decided actually I could blend the two of them together and and that's where the social enterprise accountancy firm came from in that it was going to be an accountancy firm that specialized in working with charities and social enterprises because I just loved them by then I think I'd set up um, two or three social enterprises at that point and it it meant that I could still use my skill set that I'd trained for for years to develop but very much using it with organizations that that were doing something purposeful I love that because something that I think about a lot is the idea of passion and purpose so when you are in a position to combine what you're good at your skill set i.e accountancy and maths even though it's not directly relevant uh with a actual purpose so you you can utilize what you're good at and your skill set and your talent with something that's that creates greater good and a positive change that's when the ultimate fulfillment comes through and my theory and what's really led me to have these kind of conversations is that when you combine those two that leads you onto a path of actually creating an indelible positive impact in the world so take it back a little bit more you said it was around two three years from the moment you realized that actually this didn't really sit well with your values the moment you took action what did that in between part look like was there internal angst did you just kind of suppress it emotionally or did it manifest in in different ways because what i find interesting is that there will be a, a lot of people especially with the introspection that's come from lockdown who would be in that same mindset what was your mindset at the time and what led you to making that jump into the social enterprise accountancy firm through working with part-time for one of the social enterprises that's where i learned more about social enterprises and and came up with you know actually I could set up my own social enterprise rather than than being involved in helping other social enterprises to run I could have my own but um, if I look back in terms of a point at which I, I should have or would have made a decision I think I should have made it earlier because it definitely affected my health I wasn't a very healthy person I was actually quite miserable most of the time I didn't really enjoy what I was doing in fact you know I hated it so um, I think when when you're out of uh, line with what kind of sets you on fire and what you believe in in terms of your values it's, it's very difficult to to be excited and happy about it it just got to the point where I was like is, is this is this what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life is this the way my life's gonna go and it, it wasn't just um, 
work related it is every you kind of review everything in your life don't you and you're kind of like yeah shit, shit. this is not looking this is not the plan that I had for for where I was going to be one of the things that I've I suppose I've developed is this I don't, I don't want to call it a belief but this thinking that every few years we need to completely reinvent ourselves <laughs> Um, which it sounds bizarre so I've gone from an accountant that's an employee realized I'm a, a really terrible employee because I don't like being told what to do um, I have all these ideas I'm helping to set up charities and create designing projects and programs for them and you know being entrepreneurial and then I'm I'm sat in a, a, at a computer doing stuff where you know no opinion is required um and it, it's quite hard to to say well you know what when can I be me when can I be really me as opposed to the person that you've employed that you think is is just inside this box and at some point I just was like can't do it anymore I this and I, th I think I just had this momentary madness where I was like I you know I could set up a social enterprise accountancy firm and it went from there <laughs> I really like that belief in terms of you need to reinvent yourself every few years and it almost takes guts to do that but once you do it for the first time or the second time you do realize the merit in it because at the end of the day another way to look at that is just growth and evolution and and something I believe in I believe I believe the same thing as you and adding to that if you start from a place of wanting to combine what you're good at with something that makes a difference in the world and you use that as a guiding principle for your ongoing evolution then that is only a good thing if you're spending most of your time unhappy or miserable it's like well change it's that thing about you know you're not you're not a tree you're not a tree you're not you're not rooted if you hate your job find something that you love doing you know it's it's not it's not difficult in some respects but then it's it's terrifying because you're like oh I've just I've got rid of my financial cushion that was was padding me and keeping me protected but it, it, part of that is then it becomes a motivator to make you make the whatever you want to do work <laughs> and I just want to stick on stick on this a little bit more from when you actually decided to move and and, and set up your own thing you got the head and the heart saying two different things how did you navigate that from the rational side of your brain saying, no, you need to stay in, uh, it's stable, got that financial cushion to your heart saying, I need to get out of this and I need to be doing something that's more truer to uh, myself. What In that particular moment, how did you navigate through that? So I, I was probably a bit of a boring geek in that I was like, I'm going to re research whether this is like viable in terms of a viable business idea. And, and that, that sort of gave me the safety that actually, yeah, this, this could be viable because back then you just had um, normal accountancy firms would have perhaps one, one person that, that specialized in charities and there was, wasn't really any social enterprise accountancy. So by, by sort of exploring that, I kind of saw that actually there was a gap in the market 
and and it, it could quite easily be exploited rather than just sort of coming up with a one of my other thousand random ideas and saying oh well I'll just go go with it um yeah I'm 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 not completely crazy normally <laughs> you're grounded with the right amount of rationalism you need to be a little bit crazy though <laughs> yeah you you need to make it so that you can't go back I think but you've also got to go forward with a, a sense of actually this this is doable and achievable what got you interested in social enterprise initially you said your initial work was with a charity right what got you interested in social enterprise back then what was the landscape of social entrepreneurship when you started there wasn't a huge landscape but um the for the charity they were looking at generating um, trading income and getting contracts as well as obviously getting grants and funding and then when I started working part-time for a social enterprise that's when I, I started to learn a lot more about what a social enterprise was and really kind of figure out that actually this is probably going to be the future of, of business um, and it, it was more forward thinking to to have a product or service you could sell than to look to a funder and try to fit into their criteria and be shifted off mission completely and end up you know you, you design a program that that's going to achieve what you want it to and they they chop it and cut bits out of it and it ends up with you know it's a, a pizza without any topping so as a social enterprise accountancy firm and now, connecting the dots, you specialize in helping social enterprises track their impact, the positive impact. So it's not just the profit, but the impact as well. Where did that shift happen from you as a social enterprise accountancy firm, for lack of a better term, excuse my lack of knowledge in the accountancy field, tracking revenues and tracking commercial growth? Where did that tipping point and shift happen to tracking impact? What was that aha moment? It started around about 15 years ago, is that right? No, 15? No, 10 years ago. Um, because back then, um, the, the two main methods for, for tracking impact were social accounting and audit and social return and investment, which the language is accountancy. <laughs> um, so people that wanted that done were would ask about it and I was like what is this thing they're asking about you know about social audit and so I I um, looked it up and I was like oh this looks actually looks quite interesting and um, so I did the training in in social accounting and audit and I did the social return investment training and decided actually that I really like doing that so it became a small part of the the accountancy business up until four years ago when i um, got rid of the accountancy bit completely to focus purely on the impact side. Our collective vision, I'm sure there's semantics and different ways of saying it, for every single business and company on the planet to be a social enterprise and as a result to measure their success as an organization, not based on the value that they provide to their stakeholders and shareholders, but the positive value they, they make on the planet and society. But unfortunately, a lot of businesses view impact as a tick box. Can you tell any stories of how focusing on impact has actually had a positive impact on the bottom line as well? Because I think in order to create that, that mass change in the shorter term, those stories need to come to the forefront. So decision makers can actually understand this isn't a tick box. Um, 
this does actually have a positive impact on your bottom line and revenues and, and commercial success, as well as doing right by the planet. Do you have any stories to bring that idea to life? There's there's loads, but if if you think about all of the the corporates that that do their purpose from a PR and marketing perspective, they do it because they know it will impact their bottom line. That that is fundamentally why they their comms turns to focusing on purpose because they they know that if they look like they're they're doing something good for people and the environment more people will buy from them because they will be seen more favorably so if if you look at it from that perspective that's why people do the purpose washing and, and do this this pr stuff but if you think from on a, a more genuine level of doing it, it it's actually something that that is in in the design and the creation of the organization in that it actually enables you to to create um a, an organization or business that has employees that believe in your purpose they're more likely to stay um they're more likely to be committed to the organization so you don't have the the recruitment costs of replacing an employee which in the uk i think they they say is around twenty six thousand pounds every time an employee leaves going through the recruitment process training them and getting them up to speed of the previous person costs you that much so from that perspective if, if you've got employees that are committed because you are genuine about your purpose you've already saved yourself thousands in terms of trying to get new employees you've also um got products and services that are better aligned to your customers because they're focused on creating a positive impact for them as opposed to they're focused on how can we create the cheap cheapest product and make the most profit you've also thought about well actually it would make sense to make this part of the product more durable so people don't have to replace it every year um thinking of a certain phone that you know stops functioning every 12 to 18 months or goes really slow um if they were to use more durable parts in their phones people could wouldn't have to replace them so often which would have less impact on the environment because we wouldn't have to mine for all the bits that go in the phones and so um you know there are loads of examples and you you've also then on the other kind of angle you've got investors that are becoming more conscious about where they're investing their money and they're looking not just for financial returns but also the social returns so there's huge huge things that that come from being able to know that you're you're impact led in terms of how you operate i and, and bright shift regard talk about it as conscious or capacity capitalism and you talk about it as just every business being social enterprise this is a very difficult question um, and I don't, and I'm not looking for a roadmap or getting there, but what needs to happen for compassionate capitalism to become the norm in your opinion? Ooh, I think, um, people need to be more aware of what they're buying, but I don't think we can say that it's a responsibility of the consumer I believe that we need businesses to step up and say, actually, we, we don't want to have modern slavery in our supply chains. We don't want to be chopping down trees. We, you know, we actually, they, 
the pressure needs to be on them and that's where I, I think it's perhaps through legislation and different things to to kind of get rid of some of those bad practices but the the big issue there is how do you have global leg legislation because um when you're looking at the big businesses their their supply chains aren't local they're they're global and you know what what they can get away with in one country but can't in another just means they shift their production um so i, I think there's a mix of things um it's individuals making better choices but having the the information to make those choices businesses recognizing that it's not just about money and they need to be better in terms of how they behave and um governments um while they still exist um doing better in terms of policy and legislation i want to ask you what your advice would be to the following people so first of all a first-time founder who is about to set up his or her first organization and deeply who deeply cares about making an impact but is unsure where to start what advice would you give that person make sure you've got something you can sell it's great that you want to make an impact but if you can't make any money you can't make any impact um so um make sure you have a product or service that can be sold so know who that customer is and i don't mean create some very very specific customer avatar where you know they they read cosmo on the weekend and drink um I don't know, Chardonnay or, or bottles of champagne. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, know who your customer is. Is it the end user in, in terms of a, a person or is there a, like an agency or organization or public sector body that's kind of the middleman that will pay for that um, and, and make sure you know that they will pay and not expect it to be free um, because, you know, we need money to make impact ultimately in our old office before covid happened on a whiteboard we had the profit and then uh impact and then just arrows to each one because you need both and this self-sustaining is like a seesaw isn't it so you need to either profit to then grow the business so you can grow your market share or get your product or service out to more people and as virtue of that the impact you have as an organization with impact at its core can also scale as well so you can't have one without the other yeah exactly second person to give advice to this is pretty much a free consultation isn't it <laughs> a decision maker in an smb who wants to make the shift wants to do it authentically but is unsure on how to do it in the best way possible if that decision maker is is pretty much to have that conversation with the rest of the the senior management team if there are then board members above that senior management team to bring them in on those conversations to to make sure that everyone is committed and bought into it because if they're not then it will fail okay and i've got another another question which kind of links um but i've had lots of decisions i've got lots of friends as well people in my network who are very much in this position but instead of a decision maker, just an, an employee who wants to convince their seniors and wants to convince the board to invest more into impact, what advice would you give there? What can they do within their organization in order to, to get the decision makers to take it more seriously? S send them on some training. <laughs> um, so uh, think about how impact impacts their job so to speak this probably sounds a bit daft impact impacts your job but start to think about your job role from the perspective of you're not delivering activities or or doing things 
but you're creating impact and by looking at your job role in that way see where you are perhaps able to create more impact if you do things in a different way and use that to, to evidence and prove that actually by by having an impact head as opposed to a, a normal profit focused head you, you can deliver better and more effectively for the organization and then take that proof to to more senior people last question because i'll let you go but based on all the amazing work that you're doing at the moment what are you most excited about oh my god there's about 20 things i'm excited about right now <laughs> that's the right answer give me the give me the top three so um i don't know where to start um my my second book is coming out soon so i'm really excited about finishing that off because it's been kind of hanging over me for a long time um I'm really excited about the research around women scaling social enterprises because I've got some some great stuff that that will hopefully come out of that. Um, um, there's just loads. Um, my podcast interviews. I'm really loving the people I'm interviewing. Um, I'm loving all of the work that I'm doing. My one-to-one -one mentoring and different stuff. Yeah, there's just tons of stuff, and I'm. I think more on a system level i'm really excited to see the the number of people that are setting up social enterprises and the the amazing what i would call innovations that people are, are coming up with in terms of the ideas for their social enterprises um you know we're not talking about people that are are not to be mean to anybody that's doing this you know we're not talking about people that are making bags from fabric anymore we're talking about people that are of making sure that the source of that fabric is from a, a sustainable place in India or somewhere in, in the continent of Africa and making sure every every line of their supply chain ticks a box in terms of impact and, and being positive um, for the environment. So people are, are becoming much more detailed in, in how they're approaching it. Um, so it, it's really really interesting to see the the huge opportunities that are there um i'm going to take that back i've got one more question <laughs> social entrepreneurship has been integral to you for the past two decades because you're someone who's been part of it for 20 years what has it been like witnessing the growth of social entrepreneurship and what are your predictions for the future I think when you're in it you don't really notice it echo chamber as well isn't it so it's hard to actually get your handle on things yeah, sometimes you can be a bit insular. So I, I think that that came at the beginning of the, the COVID um, crisis in that, you know, all this support was going to charities and social enterprises weren't getting any. And I, I was in this sort of little bubble. I don't, I don't want to use that in a, in a COVID context, but I was in this social enterprise bubble where I thought, you know the most of the world knew what a social enterprise was politicians knew what it was everyone thought they were great and they were kind of the future and then that bubble got burst at the beginning of um covid because no politicians didn't know what they were they didn't care um etc so um yeah it it can be quite weird and that you you think you know that it's it's bigger than what it really is but i do think um on a more general level people do want to set up social enterprises more now than what 
I've, I've ever seen previously and you know my my vision for the future and what I believe will happen is that all businesses will be social enterprises <laughs> I, and I did, I, I did say by 2020 or else they would start to see that they would fail. And I, I think, you know, um, thanks to the coronavirus for, for some great systemic change, we're starting to see businesses that are purely focused on profit really struggling through this period. And, and, and I don't, you know, no awfulness meant to anybody that works for them, but you know, that, that is not the business model of the future. That is a brilliant way to end it. Heidi, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this. It's been really nice talking to you.